Welcome back to Officially Unofficial. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American. And we're here with a little bit of a different guest here. Um, this is the kind of guy that's uh, not playing baseball anymore, kind of got pushed out of the game due to injuries. He's a former Texas Longhorn and former Chicago Cub, Josh Sawyer. What is up, Josh? Not so much, man. Looking forward to being on, you know. Uh, just here at my sports tech company, a startup, uh, interviewing, doing work, you know. They don't give a fuck what I do around here, so here we go. <laughs> there it is. You might have, you might honestly be the first guest that's ever done this during work. So congratulations on that. That's what I was saying. I was talking to Sander. You know Sander well. He uh, he was like, "Do you think he's ever done it during work before?" And I was like, "I have no idea. I don't think so. Everyone has usually been a baseball player." Yeah, so I don't exactly. think anyone was doing it during work. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into your injuries. So obviously, you kind of got, like I said earlier, you got pushed out of the game. Injuries. Yeah. What happened? Like, what exactly is the injuries? Because I'm not a doctor, obviously, so I don't really know the extent of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you want to start, man? I mean, I've, I've had 11. Um, had a couple in high school. Um, just two minor knee surgeries. Uh, nothing big. But when I got to Texas, started having some some shoulder pain. Uh, my freshman year, I fell down fielding a bunt and tore my bicep tendon in my shoulder. Um, they couldn't figure it out for a couple of years. So I did a couple of like exploratory surgeries. And then I finally found a doctor that, that kind of knew what was going on. So I got the right surgery done. And then during that rehab process, I, I tore my hip, um, which is just for literally a freak accident. I was running sprints. I think they were punishment sprints for being honest. And I tore my hip um, and had that. And then I came back through Texas, through well, throwing absolute gas, um, got drafted by the Cubs. And I had five surgeries with the Cubs, um, which is just unbelievable insane. I had a surgery called thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, it's, it's a big one where they, they have a, you know, they take out your first rib, a couple muscles in your neck, a uh, couple hernias at, with the Cubs as well. And then you're, you're going to die here. The last one, I was playing a tonsil hockey in Vegas with a Russian dancer. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I ended up getting strep throat. Didn't know about it. So uh, I just go on, have strep throat in the back of my throat. I ended up getting a, a massive ulcer in the back of my throat, and they had to do surgery to, to drain the ulcer from, from Vegas. You know, uh, what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. Let's just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, well, that, that's probably the greatest injury that's ever happened in professional <laughs> baseball history. But the thing that I wanted to mention is I actually – they call me the Iron Man because I've never actually been injured in baseball well, they, call it, they, uh, they call me the million dollar man you know i've had 11 surgeries <laughs> there it is yeah if you, i mean if you were in canada those all those would all be free but unfortunately you're an american <laughs> citizen so you have to pay for all those it, it just i actually believe it or not, i actually have got injured once um this happened for my friends listening that play at juco with me i got injured actually this is a very freak accident i got injured running into in and out so I was at first base. It was in the fall too. So we're running in and out, and I was like, I, I got hyped up. I, this is when I was buzzing because I'm the fall American, and I was just mashing baseballs. And I screamed, "Let's fucking go!" to the team. And I'm running to first base on turf. Snap! Mm-hmm. I didn't snap my ankle, but I rolled my ankle and played through it two innings. Thank, thank me for my service. But I played <laughs> through uh, the injury for a couple innings. Went over one with a ground ball the first, and that's it. So when when you when you're battling that many injuries, like what are the Cubs specifically saying to you? Are they saying like, just keep sticking with it? Or are they like, man, fuck this guy. Like, let's cut this guy. No, yeah. The, the Cubs were awesome, man. They, they were so they – were, they were very, like, you know, proactive about getting the surgery, getting it done. Um, the thoracic outlet was kind of like a freak one. Um, my arm tear completely blew. I lost blood circulation. So that one was immediate. Um, and then I had a hernia, a sports hernia, which was diagnosed. And then during the rehab process, I got another one. And then during the next one, I actually had another hernia as well. Um, and the whole time, they, they were awesome about it. They are like, look, we just want you to get back on the field, whatever – we got to do to help you get back. We'll do it. Um, so that was really cool. You know, that was really cool by, by them. Um, cause I've heard some stories and 
other organizations, um, just kind of pushing injured guys out. But the Cubs are very, very proactive about, you know, helping me out and, and trying to give me my shot because, you know, they understand ever since we were kids, it was our dream to, to play professionally and, and to actually make it to the MLB. Um, so they were right there with me the whole time. Uh, but it just got kind of a little too much mentally to deal with all those injuries. So I decided to give it up. And so what came into that decision of you be deciding, like, damn, like, I'm done with this shit? Like, what what, what kind of well, – I don't even know what the word is. I'm not that smart. What, what like, started you having that mind, mindset where it's like, that's it, I'm done with baseball? Yeah, you know, it was – I can literally pinpoint the exact day. Um, I woke up in Arizona in the hotel room, could barely get out of bed because my hernia is hurt, and then I sit up and my hips hurt from my hip surgeries – and then I started getting warmed up to throw that day and my arm hurt so bad. And at a certain point, I was like, dude, fuck this. Like, I got to take care of myself and my future. Um, and so that's when I was kind of like, all right, looking, looking beyond baseball and looking beyond the career that only lasts until you're 40 if you're the best in the world at it. Um, I just wanted to kind of, you know, start my life as, as a normal person um, pretty much. Yeah, see, so we're, we're just a couple guys that got pushed out of the game. You got pushed out of the yeah, game. Exactly. You right. got pushed out of the game because of injuries. I got pushed out of the game because of my stats. No injuries, just perfectly fine, just no <laughs> offers. And then when when you were at Texas and you're going through the and you're going through the injuries, you're battling, you're battling because you were there for a pretty long amount of time. You yep. were like a redshirt. You were yeah, five years, so super senior as they call it. The guy that stayed oh, yeah. there because he loved the freshman. What was that like at Texas when you were injured? Were they like the same as the Cubs, or were they like damn, like we're wasting all this money on this guy? You know, it, it was kind of a weird transition for me uh, because I played for Coach Garrido for three years and then I played for Coach Pierce for two years. Um, and Garrido was supportive the whole time because he kind of knew what I'd been through as a freshman at my younger age when I actually got hurt the first time. Um, but when Coach Pierce came in, he had never seen me throw before. Um, so he was basically like, look, you're going to have to prove yourself in the fall to me again. Like, I've heard stories about you. I've heard you're a lefty. I've heard you throw in the mid to upper 90s, but I've never seen it. So before I give you a spot on this team, I'm gonna need you to I'm gonna need you to show that to me. But he gave me every resource and allowed me to use our facilities and do all that to show him. So he was really supportive as well. He just wanted to you know to see the the, the Josh Lawyer that wasn't injured in action before he gave me a roster spot. So you were a high nineties guy, were Because obviously you're a te- you're a I Texas was. kid, and those guys are a diamond. I mean, there's just there's every twelve kids in Texas that are a pitcher. Ten of them throw ninety plus. How did you, when you were in high school, kind of separate yourself from the rest of, like, obviously because you were a lefty, but how did you separate yourself from the rest of the guys throwing 90 to obviously to earn a scholarship at the University of Texas? You know, I actually, speaking of, like, weird stories and stuff, I actually signed to Texas going into my freshman year of college, my senior summer of high school. So I signed to Texas July of my senior summer going into August as a freshman at Texas. Um, I was, you know, I was a puss-throwing lefty my whole life. And then I was a late bloomer, late stock guy. And then my last, my senior year of high school, I started getting up and up and up. And I eventually hit 95 um, at, at, in the summer at TCU's facility at, at like a, camp, a summer camp. And, you know, LSU was there. Texas was there. TCU was there. Vanderbilt was there. And that's when I kind of got exposed, was really late in the year. And so I was the only kid in the entire country not signed, throwing 95 plus. So I had my ability to kind of go wherever I want because I was such a really late bloomer and they were all looking you know they were looking to fill in those those high school kids that left from the draft um so all those schools had you know first rounders that left from the left from the draft like Trey Ball who was the fifth overall pick in my senior year of high school my class he was committed to Texas he didn't he didn't sign he signed to Texas but he signed professionally as well so Texas lost that that you know that roster spot from him and that scholarship and so I just picked it up 
Um, so I was a really late bloomer. And so that's kind of the, the big programs are looking at me to fill, fill their spots for the MLB guys, the high school MLB kids that left. So let's go into Augie. You said you played for Augie. Oh, yeah. We've had we, we've oh, had a yeah. lot of tech. We've had a lot of Texas baseball players on this podcast, but only a couple of them played for Augie as long mm-hmm. as you did three years. Yep. How yep. did he recruit you? Like, was he as old school of a recruiter as he was a coach, or was he a little bit different? Well, you know, he actually he didn't really do the recruiting process. Skip Johnson did, um, and then Skip was like, "Hey, I want you to talk to Augie." And, you know, you, you see Augie Garrido pop up on your phone screen. And you're like, holy fuck, this is the greatest coach of all time. Like, I've watched his his movie. And I answer the phone. He's in California, you know, at his beach house. He's like, Sawyer, Sawyer, this is Coach Garrido. Coach Garrido, <laughs> how, how, how are you doing today? You know, Skip told me to give you a call. Heard you're a good kid. We'd, we'd love you at Texas. Um, we are Texas, just to let you know. And that was literally like the conversation. That was like the extent of that conversation. He was like, we are Texas. We are the best. Do you want to play for me? Basically, that's kind of how that whole thing got started. But, you know, Coach Grito was, you know, rest in peace. He, he was honestly the greatest coach I've ever played for. And I can still take state of this day. He texted me a week before he died. Um, and he wasn't the coach at the time. And he texted me saying how proud he was of me to come back from all my injuries to play for Texas. Um, so that's really, really cool to, you know, to have. I still have the message saved on my phone. Uh, it'll never go anywhere. Yeah, it just it goes to show, man. Coach Augie was just like kind of a dickhead to his te- like to his team. But he, I mean, he wasn't. It just at the end of the day, as you just no. stated, he was a good guy. He just he just got his message across a little bit different. Now let's hear some. Let's hear the funny part. Have you been oh, on yeah. the other side of a roast from Augie? Because oh. his roasts, I've watched the videos. They're so funny. I've been on two. I've been on two. I'll go. I'll go with the, you know, the good. The first one that happened. So we are freshman year. I'm, I'm like the Tuesday guy. So I throw on Tuesdays. Like, I'm not throwing on the weekends. I'm a freshman at the University of Texas. So we're playing Oklahoma Friday night. We go up 7-0 in the first on Oklahoma. You know, everyone in our dugout is super pumped up, super fucking chill. There's cookies on the dugout, like the protein premier cookies. I'm like, yeah, I'll have a cookie. Go grab a cookie. Start eating a cookie. We give up eight in the first, right? So now it's 7-8. Oklahoma's up, right? He calls the whole team up. And this is the only thing he says. I swear to God. He goes, where the fuck is Sawyer? I was like, oh, fuck, what did I do? He goes, where the fuck is Sawyer? <laughs> Sawyer, if you want to eat a fucking cookie, go to the stands. He, told, he, he told you to he go was, to the stands. Yes, he, he told said, you to go, go to the stands. He said, this is not a picnic. Go to the fucking stands if you're going to eat a cookie. And I was like, oh, my God. I didn't do anything. I didn't play in the game. I didn't touch the ball. I was not on the mound. I didn't cause the eight runs. But he picture pointed me out. Because he just wanted, like, that was the way he worked. He wanted our mind off of the eight inning, the eight runs we just gave up, and wanted yeah. us to like laugh at something. So he just picked up, he just picked on me. Um, so that that was, you know, that was the first one. The the other one is, is a classic. Sophomore year in the fall, you know. So we're we're doing we're in our fall. We're doing our fall games. You know, it's it's a Thursday. I throw on Thursday. I start. So I'm not throwing Friday or Saturday. Whatever. You know, I'm not. Throwing. I go out Thursday night. Just get absolutely hammered. Friday at practice, I'm super hungover. I'm like in a chair, kind of laying on the laying on the bench, like just like this. And he, he walks up, he goes, Sawyer, you need a fucking pina colada and a and a fucking uh, umbrella. You're on the fucking beach over here. Pay attention to the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those, those those are the two the two good ones. Um, but I mean, I got so many. One time, he you know he just had a hip surgery and he. We're getting in trouble, and he, he's got a cane. He just picks the cane up and throws it at us. He's like, this is the most <laughs> embarrassing shit I've ever seen. And chunks his cane in the middle of us, just standing around him, listening to him yell at us. 
did he ever get like uh emotional like with you guys like of happiness like did he ever cry or ever show like tears of emotion i wouldn't say uh, tears of emotion but he definitely did you know rejoice in in, in winning like you know that was his big thing he was he was like to the extent super happy for us to win like giving us hugs like all that kind of stuff um but you know he really kept it inside until we won championships or until we won you know got to omaha like my whole freshman year we we, we were good we finished second in the big 12 you know we play a regional at home we play a supers at home and then when we win the supers at home he gives us like the most unbelievable heartfelt heartfelt speech about how he's like so proud of us and all this stuff. So he waited for the right times to give those speeches. Um, but yeah. they, when you got when you got them, they meant that much more because he wouldn't just hand them out like candy, you know. Yeah, and and when you're when when you're at Texas and you clinch that spot to go to the College World Series, what is that kind of atmosphere like just around the campus, around the baseball field, and even after the game? It's <laughs> it's like nothing you've ever seen. Um, I don't know if you know the Twitter account Occupy Left Field, but they're basically yeah. a big fan. They're basically a big fan base out in left field. And my last year when we won, we were out there drinking beers with them, like in the stands, in full uniform. I'm getting a text message from our players op guy. He's like, "You got to get out of there! Like you're on TV, you're on camera. Eastman has y'all drinking beers and all this stuff." <laughs> so like that, that's what it's like. Like you know, no one's gonna say no to you uh, when you win at Texas. Like we we could have done whatever we wanted. We got to fire the cannon, which had never been done before by by an organization or, or by a team at Texas. It's always been done by the Cowboys, like the organization, the Cowboys. But we got to fire it when we clinched Omaha um, because we went to Omaha. Um, so, like, they're really cool. They're really, you know, really emotional about winning there. Um, but they do give it to you if you lose. <laughs> yeah, and what's it like playing – what's it like for the opposing team playing at the University of Texas? Are the fans getting after them, roasting them, or are they a little bit more conservative? Um, it, it depends on the team that they're, that we're playing, you know, um, I would say all the Big 12 rivals, they are getting after them, like just tearing them to bits. Like, you know, Occupy left field, they're, they're ragging on the left fielder. Like they got, they've had a left, field, left fielder cry before they've ragged on him so hard out there. Um, but, but the teams that come in non-conference, like pre-schedule, like LSU and all of them, like I think our fans are really open. You know, they want, like, they want to have a good experience at our, at our university and kind of show that we, you know, we don't just you know, talk shit all the time. We're, we're proud of you know, what we've built and the Longhorn. Yeah, and you're you're from Texas, like you like yep. uh, it says in your bio. Just did a little bit of research. Um, how cool is that to play for the University of Texas as someone that's like a resident of Texas, kind of grows up admiring the Longhorn, Longhorn admiring that school. Yeah, you know what? It, uh, when I was a, uh, I was born in Colorado, so when I moved down to Texas, I was five, right? And the uh, the first thing that I remember in Texas was watching Texas play in the College World Series in 05 when they won it. And at that moment, I was like, Dad, that's where I want to go to school. And, like, that's where I want to play baseball. And my dad's like, yeah, right. That, you know, that's, like, the best school in the country. And I said, Dad, I want to play there. You know, and then actually getting to, to fulfill that goal, there, there's, there's no greater accomplishment in life, in my opinion. Like what I was saying, it is, it is the proudest tradition I've ever had. It's the greatest accomplishment in my life is, is to play for the University of Texas. Yeah, and you went to two College World Series with the University yeah. of Texas. In your opinion, which one, like – is more memorable to you? The one that you went for the first time or the one you went in your last year at the University of Texas? You pretty much pit like the last game you pitched wasn't the College mm -hmm. World Series. So which one kind of mm -hmm. means a little bit more to you? You know, it's it's a different perspective looking at it if, if you've gotten to go twice. Uh, my first time, you know, we're just trying to soak up the experience and like, you know, the opening day parade and the fireworks and the, you know, the concert and everything. And then my last time there, I knew what, I knew what to expect. I knew it was going to happen. So I like sat back and watched everyone else be excited. 
like I watched all of our freshmen and sophomores and juniors that had never been before, how ecstatic they were to be there. That was that was super cool to me to to, to see other people as, as excited as I was when I was a freshman. Um, and obviously throwing in the College World Series my second time was was the coolest experience of my life. Like we dream, we as baseball players dream of stepping foot in Omaha and, and throwing on that mound. Like, you know, there's only a couple hundred thousand that have ever thrown on it. And I can say that I'm one of them, which is a really cool, really cool experience. Yeah. What Texas team do you think kind of had the best chance of winning the College World Series that went to Omaha year two years? Was it the, like the first one or the last one? Because the last team that you had, we had a pretty good amount of teammates like Blair, Nolan, Chase, Andy, all those kind of guys come on this yep. podcast. And that team was just a bunch of dogs. Like I remember watching you guys when I was at school and it was like it was a it was just a stacked team. So what, would you say that that team that you went with in your senior year was way better than the team you went in your freshman year? You no, know, I would say I would say it was opposite. Um, my freshman year, we finished third, um, and we had we've had I think on that team two people have been in the big leagues. We're about to have our third. Mark Payton should be up this year, but John Curtis has pitched for the Angles, and Dylan Peters has pitched for multiple teams in the big leagues. And Mark Payton's on his way. Like he was last year in AAA, he hit 340 with 40 home runs, so he's on his way to the big leagues. Um, so I'd say that team was more talented, but the team in 2018, we like you said, we were a bunch of dogs. Like. We didn't give a fuck what people thought about us. Like we were going to go out there and we were just going to out hustle you, outplay you, and just basically just beat the shit out of you. Like we didn't care. We would throw at kids. They put the horns down. We'd throw at them. I remember a kid at Northwestern. He put the horns down. We hit him with 98, 97, and 96 back to back to back. Um, so we didn't take shit from anyone. I think that's kind of the mentality that we had that year. So that's kind of why we were as good as we were. So you guys were like the bad boys of the NCAA because uh, the horns down thing. I wanted to mention that is why why does do texas people kind of think that's like a jab at them because i feel like that's just people saying like we want to be like you obviously it's a little bit more of a jab but what aggravates you so much about when people do the horns down at the university of texas you know and i think it, it's it's not that it aggravates me when people in the big 12 throw it down because we know that's going to happen but when we have little slapdick universities come in and throw the horns down that's when it's like dude come on relax like you know, we're just out here to have a good time, play you, like go out with you after the game. You know what I'm saying? But in conference play, like we expect them to throw the horns down. So it's not that big of a shock to us. But like the Northwestern kid who threw the horns down after hitting a triple in the first game of the the, the series, we're like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, like just relax. Um, but, you know, getting the horns down from Oklahoma or TCU or Tech, like that's just normal. We're, we're used to it. Um, but we will throw at them if they do it at our place. Um, there's no have you doubt ever, about that. Have you ever thrown at a guy before? Have you, have you ever purposely oh, yeah. thrown oh, at yeah. a guy? Because that'd be an honor. Oh, yeah. how, how cool is that uh, to just fully throw a, a 98 mile hour fastball at someone's skull? It is. Uh, there's, there's no other feeling like it. When, when you see the, the catcher put the middle finger down, um, you're like, yep, I love it. Never going to shake it off. Let them know that, that we're here, you know. Um, but we had, I think it was, it was Tech. Tech, uh, you know, they came into Austin one of my years, and the, they were facing Casey. They threw behind Casey the first pitch. Um, and then so, like, when I was pitching that game, like, I got the, the middle finger down and to lead off the eighth and just reared it right at him. Missed him, but I reared it right at him, and there's no better feeling than, than doing it. But I had Coach Garrido, funny story, Coach Garrido come up before and be like, Sawyer, hit this kid. Don't like him. Wham! Just railed it right at him. Does that kind of get you brownie points with uh, Augie? Because I feel Augie's definitely like an old school kind of guy. And if, if he sees someone play out there with a little bit of emotions, he's like, I love this kid. I love this kid to death. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think as, as any coach would, like if you if you if you play out there, you know, with your balls loose, like there's there's no like 
you know, you're just going to be that guy. Like, you know, my, that was the biggest step kind of going from a freshman to, you know, to a senior stuff like that. It's that just let your balls hang. Like, it doesn't matter. Like when I was a freshman, I would start and I kind of get rocked, shell shelled, like lit up some fastballs and they just let it rip. And then Skip Johnson, our pitching coach one day drags me out to the mound and draws two sets of nuts on, on the mound, draws a little set of nuts and a huge set of nuts. He's like, this is what you threw with last night, the little nuts. Next time, big nuts. So like, it's just that mentality of throwing with big nuts, you know? I, I noticed this also. You don't do you, you don't go to the Texas alumni game, do you? Is, is that something? Is it like are you far from are you from far from the campus? Is that why you don't go? Or are you just uh, no? You know, I just started this job, so I couldn't go this time. But I, I went the year before, and I'll, I usually go back every year to see the guys. You know, those are my best friends till the till the day I die. Like I'm in a wedding this weekend uh, with our video operator who recorded us throwing bullpens and stuff. Like that's how close we are as a university you know, as a family there. Um, so no, it's just, I couldn't make this one, but I usually try and go to every single one. And when, and when you're there at that alumni weekend, what are the guys? Cause I've heard murmurs. I've heard murmurs that the guys are getting after it. The guys are a little bit drunk. Dur- oh, are yeah. they drunk during the game or does it happen post game? Oh, it happens. You know, we'll, we'll drink during the game and before the game, you know, we got to let the, let the little kids on the other side of the field that are wearing the burnt orange have a chance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so who, who, who would you think at your time at the university of Texas, was the best player that you played with overall? The guy that was like, because in my opinion, it, it's Cody. Co- Cody Clements was yeah. one of the like most electric players I think I've ever seen at the University of Texas. Would that be the yeah. same for you? It would either be Cody or Mark Payton. And I play with, I only played with Mark Payton my freshman year, but you know he was kind of Cody my freshman year. You know he was the guy that hit three hole, hit three fifty, always came up clutch, always came up big, the same way Cody did. Um, so I would say those, those two players are, are the two players that have been the best to where the burnt orange while I've been there. Yeah. And, and when you're playing at Texas and you see Roger Clemens hanging out beside the dugout, how, how is that, how nerve wracking is that to see one of the greatest of all time pitchers sitting beside the dugout while you're on the mound facing who know, like just a small Juco in Texas or not a small Juco, a small D one in Texas. Yeah. Is that a little weird feeling for you? You, you know, uh, not at all. And I would say this because he's so personal to us. Like, he, he'd come up to me, like, if he was there at a scrimmage, he'd come up to me during the scrimmage, mid, mid-inning, and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me, you know, hey, you're, you're, you're tipping this pitch. Like, you're, I can see it in your glove. You're turning your glove when you're throwing your curveball. And then every time I threw during the game, if he was there, after the game, he would tell me what he thought I did well and what he thought I did bad and what he thought I could improve on. So he was basically another coach for us. And, you know, to have the greatest pitcher of all time be another coach – is, you know, that's why our pitching staff is so good, in my opinion, because he's there to tell us, you know, what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong all the time. The thing about Roger Clemens is I feel like he just gets such a bad rap just based off the stuff that the media said to him. And I've had guests on the show talk about how good of a guy he is. Do you think that he has, like, a potential future to coach at the University of Texas? Because we see Houston Street coach there. Mm-hmm. Um, Troy Tulowitzki helps out there now. Do you think that Roger Clemens would step into a coaching role there sooner than later? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so because all of his kids are gone now. And I think he wants to be out there, you know, watching Cody and Casey play. But, you know, potentially maybe, you know, after they're done playing ball, I could definitely see him, you know, coming back to the university because he is so close. And, you know, going back on, on the being a good guy, I've never seen him ever turn down an autograph, turn down a picture, turn down anything. Like I've been to dinner with him and his family multiple times. Not once has he turned down an autograph or a picture. I mean, he is by far his reputation should be way higher than it is, in my opinion. Yeah, and that, that's that's the cool thing about Roger Clemens is, yeah. is like he he makes himself so accessible to all the fans yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And when you're yeah. at the University of Texas, now let's talk about the off-field shenanigans. Talk about getting after it at the bar, getting oh, after yeah. it, getting after a post game. What team 
that you played for was the funnest to go out with? Like for the freshman year, sophomore year, oh, junior year, whatever. Which team got after it the most? You don't have to name names, I, obviously, because most of the guys are still in professional baseball. But just what team, did, in your in your opinion, did you have the most fun with off the field? I got to say it was my senior year at the University of Texas, that 2018 team. And honestly, that's why we were so good. Is because after games, after we beat the shit out of people, we'd go out and drink on a Friday night and then come back and beat your ass again on a Saturday and then go out Saturday night and do it again. Like we were always with each other all the time, just whether we were at baseball, whether we were going out having a good time, we would – you know, we'd always, always, always be together. But funny story about going out, I've got to give this to you. So my freshman year, we're playing Hawaii at home, right? They're first inning, we're on the bullpen, you know, down there. Their, their right fielder comes running up to us. He goes, yo, where's the best place to go out in Austin? I'm like, dude, the street, the whole thing, any bar you want on 6th Street, go to. He's like, where do you guys go? And I'm like telling him where we're going. And we meet up that night with all of Hawaii's baseball team and just go out on Friday night with Hawaii. It was hilarious. <laughs> I talked about that with Donnie. He went to Oklahoma yeah. State. And they said that the athletes there don't get privileges. Is it different at Texas? Like when the baseball team's going to the bar, are you guys skipping the line? You know, it, it depends on the, uh, the bartender and it depends on the bar. But, yeah, we do have bars that we go to a lot. And so – we get privileges there because they, the bartenders know and the bar managers know, like if the athletes are there, that's where like a lot of people are going to go. So they use it as a marketing tool. Uh, never gotten free drinks or anything like that, but we've always been allowed to get, cut the lines and stuff like that to allow us to get into the bars. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And let's talk about a pretty good friend of mine, Nolan. Let's talk about his sophomore year where he should have been a recipient for the Golden Spikes Award. I mean, yeah. He, oh, yeah. his stat, he was 10, I think he was 10 and four or nine and four. I could be way off. But he was just carving that whole season. What was that like to be a part of that pitching staff and just seeing a guy like that that's just so dialed in, so in the zone? You know, and like me, that I was hurt that year, so I wasn't on the team that year. Like I was on the staff, like just watching him do that, it, it, it's incredible to see a sophomore come into the University of Texas on Friday nights and just go seven every night. Seven every night, less than two. We knew what we were getting from him. And that's what makes the pitching staff so good. If your Friday night pitcher can go out there and do that. Because then you save the bullpen for Saturday and Sunday. So, you know, it was an incredible thing of Nolan to do. And he was just as good his, you know, his junior year at Texas. And he was one of the biggest reasons why we got to Omaha. You know, he, he pitched at pitched at A&M completely sick, dog sick. Like, we're talking like Michael Jordan flu sick. Flu game. Was, flu game. In, bet- in between, yeah, in between innings, like, huffing and puffing, like, just snot everywhere. Like, getting, getting like, shots and, like, IVs and everything. It was insane. Just go out there and carve. It was one of the craziest outings I've ever seen from a pitcher at Texas. Yeah, and also the other thing that I want to bring up is you you got you were there because Nolan Nolan I asked him if he faced Patrick Mahomes when he was at Texas. Did you get yeah. an opportunity to face like Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, those kind of guys? So Kyler, yeah, faced Kyler. Kyler uh, faced Kyler a couple times. Never faced Patrick Mahomes. He, uh, I think it, I don't think he played very long at Tech. Um, and he you know he was a pitcher, so we would never would have faced him. But I faced Kyler a couple times. Fastest guy I've ever seen on a baseball path. Uh, but can't hit a slider. <laughs> so that was our, that was our, that, that was our go-to. So that was a scouting report for Kyler Murray, the quarterback oh, yeah. of Oklahoma, was oh, just yeah. throw him sliders. And honestly, I find that so bananas how Kyler Murray was the quarterback of the football team, but he'd also start in the outfield for the baseball team. I, I can't even imagine just just go, go into depth about the workload that comes with playing for like Texas or like a Big 12 baseball team, how long how long your days are. Yeah, so this is like actually a crazy story about Kyler first. Is it's Oklahoma spring game, right? They're playing down in Austin baseball-wise. 
He comes down Friday with the team, plays Friday night, flies back private, plays the spring game on Saturday, flies back Saturday night after the game and plays Sunday at our place, starts at the University of Texas. Like literally like back and forth, back and forth. So like kudos, kudos to him for doing that. That's unbelievable. Um, but, but, you know, going back to the, the daily grind of, of being an athlete, it, it's a lot, man. Like we would get up, especially in the fall, get up at 4.30, got to be at weights at 5.15. Like, you know, you do that. And then, of course, you got to go to class. If you don't go to class, you got to run at practice. So you got to go to class, sleep during class more than likely, um, get the practice. And then you do practice and then you go to dining hall and you got to do your studying, too. So it, it's a lot. Um, but I think it's kind of what, what makes the spring season so much more fun because the fall is such a grind. And I, going to Texas is like, is Texas known for its academics or is it more of like an athletic school? Like it, it, I no, heard it's a big, it's a heard academic, it's a big academic school. Yeah, they're, they're definitely known for both. Like the degree that I got from, from McCombs, um, they're in the top 10 in the entire country the degree I got like the, my finance degree from McCombs is rated number four in the whole country. And our business school is rated like number 10 or 11. Um, so, you know, you do got to go to class. You do have to study and we are known for academics and, you know, big shout out to Texas athletics for their academics and the way they make their students go to class. Um, so, you know, big kudos to them for, for, you know, for that. Um, they do a good job. And and you get drafted by the Cubs. Obviously it's, you get drafted a little bit later than that than most would expect, especially a guy throwing in the upper nineties as a lefty. Mm-hmm. Did, did you, did your draft stock drop just based off of the injury report that you had and like the history you had always being injured during the season? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like in, in high school, I got, I got picked up in high school in the 32nd as like, you know, like a, a lot or, or like a thank you for like we're showing your interest type pick, you know, one of those picks that all the high school kids get. Um, but I got offered in the fifth round out of high school. Uh, didn't take it because I wanted to go to the University of Texas. Still don't regret it to this day. Like my five years at Texas were the greatest five years of my life, without a doubt. But that being said, having three injuries at Texas did impact my draft stock. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, my that last year when I was at Texas, when we we're having all of our scout days in the fall. I met with all 32 teams. They're like, we've seen you throw this fall. Your stuff's back. Got to see you do it in the spring before we even think about taking you. Um, do it in the spring, do it well in the spring. Um, and then, so they do take me in the 32nd. I did have, you know, my agent call me the second day. Some were interested, um, but it just got slipped to the, to the third day with 16th round. Uh, not bad. Um, but you know, I did slip a little bit because of the injuries, but you know, nothing major, nothing, nothing that would make me regret not going to UT and, and having the best five years of my life. Yeah. And, and what would you, re- like, what would you recommend for like that high school guy? Like me, like, the guy that gets drafted maybe fourth or fifth round out of high school and, and is committed to like LSU or Texas, like, would you recommend they take the money? Cause school will always be there and the, and the, and the money and the draft pick will never be there. Or what, w- like, what do you kind of recommend for a guy that's, uh, that's second guessing that? You know, for me, I always, I always go back to go to school. Um, I mean, I loved my years at Texas with, all my heart. You never, you're never playing with that group of team and going for the same goal. You know, as you're going through the minor league system, you're bouncing from team to team. There's no, I mean, there's team chemistry, but there's not your team going after one goal. Like we had 35 guys at the University of Texas chasing one dream to play in Omaha. Like that was known on day one when we stepped foot on campus. Our goal was Omaha, and you don't really have that in, in the minor leagues. You know, your goal is to get to the big leagues. Like that's the ultimate goal. But as you're playing, you know, single A, high A, double A, triple A, you're you have individual goals and you're not team-based. So that's what I say that, that those kids that leave early, they miss out on in college is playing as a family and as a group for one goal. 
Yeah, and I, I'm definitely all, all for the education, but just based off the fact that I'm not the brightest, I would recommend just for the kids to go to JUCO. Because JUCO yeah, is no, like, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the JUCO is the trenches. Did, did Was JUCO on your radar when you were coming out of high school? I, I actually, I dual signed to Midland College and Texas. Um, so I had actually signed a letter of intent to play at Midland College um, before Texas offered in that, that last year going into my, my freshman year of college. So I was dead set on going to Midland College and playing a year JUCO until Texas offered. We, we'll consider you a JUCO bandit. We'll just play around yeah. with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and like you said, you got drafted by the Cubs there. And a little fact for the listeners here that are tuning into this podcast. I'm actually one for two lifetime against the Chicago Cubs. Like, not a big deal. Whatever. We played <laughs> against, we played against, I don't know if it was like the Arizona League team. But when I was when I was uh, when I was like a senior in high school, our 18 U team went to Arizona and we always got to play the Cubs. And I got a little one for two off a little uh, a, a seven chopper through the shortstop <laughs> and third base hole. But whatever, not a big deal. So when you get drafted by the Cubs, were you kind of second guessing? Were you second guessing thinking like, holy shit, like if I get injured, like what the hell am I going to do now? Oh, oh, God. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Like when you get. When you get injured in the in the you know in the minor league system, you go you go back to your spring training facility. So I I spent a lot of days in Arizona, a lot of days in you know Tempe at Arizona State, a lot of days at you know at Old Town in Scottsdale because there's nothing else to do. Like you literally sit there all day long, you go do your rehab for you know a couple hours a day, and then you go back to the hotel and you do nothing but drink. Pretty much, you lay by the pool, get get in, get a nice tan, and drink some beer. Um, that, that's kind of another reason why why I chose to leave just because. I couldn't handle that, you know, just not I me. Mean, I literally two hours of therapy a day and then go sit in the hotel room pretty much. Did you, did you never pitch? Like, did you, did you never even throw a game in a Cubs uniform? Yeah, no, I never threw a game in a Cubs uniform, which is insane. And they paid me my entire signing bonus, which is crazy to think about. Like I literally, I showed up, signed my, went through my physical, signed my physical, signed my contract. A week later, I had my first thoracic outlet surgery, which pretty much ended my baseball career. I'd never really been the same since that. So how hard is that for you to, like, make that transition from an athlete to kind of like a regular Joe, like just a normal guy that has that's not even playing baseball anymore? What was that transition like for you to kind of switch up from being a D1 baseball player, going to play pro baseball, yeah. and then you're just back at, I guess, where you started just not being an athlete? You know, and I will will say, you know, going to college and getting that degree makes that process a lot easier, which is another reason why, you know, I would say go JUCO or go college first, because you do have your degree in your back pocket already. So if you do get hurt, you only have to go back for one year or you don't have to go back at all. So, you know, once I retired and once I quit, you know, I, I had a good time for a couple months, you know, went and visited some buddies all around the U.S., you know, kind of enjoyed retirement, you could say. And then a couple months later, I was like, all right, now I'm bored out of my mind again. Like I was in Arizona sitting there doing nothing, got to go find a job. Um, and now that I have the job, you know, it's kind of the same grind for me as it was in college, I guess you could say. Like I get up early and I work out and I go to work for most of the day and then I at night hang out with some buddies and drink some beers. You know, it's not a bad life. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're living the dream. You're definitely living the dream. Yeah. Is that a card that is that a card you play when you go out and go to the bar? Like, do you still say you're, you play professional baseball? Is, is that something you put in your back pocket? You know, another another shout out to Sander here. You know, Sander Bryan, good friend of mine. 
he's like, you only got a couple of years to use that. So you've got to use it while you still have it. Cause you know, once you're out of the game for a year, year and a half, you can't use that line anymore. You know, they're going to, they're going to go on Instagram and they're going to say, wow, he's been done playing for a year and a half. He doesn't play anymore. So I got, you know, I got to soak it up while I can still use it. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, for the things that I, that I recommend for retired uh, minor league baseball players or just baseball players in general, is just, just kind of keep it in your Instagram and Twitter bio. Keep oh, yeah. like Chicago Cubs organization in there. You kind of have to. So when people oh, yeah. creep you like, holy shit, this guy plays professional baseball. Exactly. Or you can just, you know, keep the Chicago Cubs ex baseball player. So they know that at one point in your life, you, you were a baseball player, right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. 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 Let's talk about after your career. Now, do you think that you could hit like 85 on the gun or your arm is just completely toast? Oh, no, I, I could hit 85 still. I, I firmly believe that. I, I was a guy that used to just wake up and throw hard. Um, it, it wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? It, just, it was just always there. It, it just never went away. And I think I could still do it. I think when I, was, when I was still playing, you know, after the surgery, I was still in the low to mid-90s after my thoracic outlet. So I do think I, I, could still, I could still get 85. You know, anything above that, I don't think I got 90 without a couple, without a couple months of training. Uh, but 85, I think I could go out there and throw it on the reg. So can so are so can you are you gonna announce that you're retired right now? Like, would you say that you're a retired baseball player? Like, are you still just looping around in free agency? Let's let's get let's get you back in the show. No, no way. I am as retired as it comes from baseball. Um, you know, the body feels great now. Crazy, funny story. Shout out to my brother here. Uh, you know, I'm driving back from Arizona all the way home to San Angelo, Texas. 14 hour drive. I get home and my brother decorates the house and the fucking retirement like banners and stuff. He has like a retirement present for me. He's got a shot of he's got a shot of Jack Daniels waiting for me to, to get to get to re- get retirement started right. Uh, like he literally the basketball go outside in the front yard had happy retirement, Josh. I'm like, dude, really? I'm not retired. I'm 24 years old. <laughs> when you retire from the minor leagues, like, is there papers you have to sign that yep. state like I'm I'm never gonna play baseball again? Well, so the, the paper that I signed is that I, I, can't, I won't ever be able to play for anyone but the Cubs again. Um, so, like, that would be the first thing that I have to go back to. So, if I, you know, if I ever got the itch in, like, a year or so, started warming it back up, you know, still through, through relatively hard and I wanted to try, I'd have to sign with the Cubs first. And then once the Cubs sign my paperwork and I get back in the minor leagues, then other teams could pick me up as well. But I did sign a paper saying that the only team I could play for first is the Cubs. Yeah, and, and th- I feel like that's something that I would personally think about every single day is being like, holy shit, like I kind of want to just give it one more go. Is that something right. that you kind of think about every single day is like, I kind of wish I went through that minor league grind and was just sitting on shitty buses, like eating PB&Js, grinding with the boys, like kind of just uh, just living that minor league lifestyle. You know, it's funny. The only part that you said there that, that I really do miss is with the boys, like that is the whole idea of, you know, grinding with the boys, having a good time with the boys, hanging out with the boys. Like, that's what I miss the most from minor league baseball. I don't miss the, you know, the, the waking up, arm throbbing, going out there throwing, hurts a little bit. I miss the, you know, the team camaraderie and all those guys that I've played with my whole life that are still out there doing it. That's what I miss the most. I miss sharing that grind with my best friends. And yeah, what, what, what was the best pitching performance that you ever had at the University of Texas? Because you obviously know it. You It's obviously in the back of your head, like, this was my Jordan game. Like, this is the game that I play. I played the best, that my arm had the best stuff it's ever had. Um, I got to say, oh, man, I got to say uh, against Indiana uh, in, the, in the regional my, uh, my senior year. Um, I only threw to three batters, I think, but I was – 96 to 98 for all three batters hammer curveball and i faced the heart of their lineup in the eighth inning 
um, you know, and we were, it was four, I think it was either three to two or three to one at the time. So it was like the biggest inning of the game going into their heart of their lineup, absolutely amped up. And I was just literally rearing back and just blowing absolute smoke after every pitch. You can ask all the buddies, anyone that played at Texas, I was a big, you know, look at the scoreboard guy to see how hard you were throwing. Every pitch I threw, I caught the ball and whipped around to, you know, to see the velo on the gun. <laughs> so, so I, oh, yeah. after every single pitch, you were you kind of oh, you were yeah. kind of turned around looking at oh, the yeah. seeing if you hit the triple digits. Have you ever hit triple digits before? Or is like ninety eight kind of the peak? Ninety eight is ninety eight is the peak that I've seen on a radar gun before. You know, I always joke that that is like the one thing that's like the, that was my biggest goal. Obviously, besides being a, pitching in the big leagues, I wanted to hit a hundred. Like I tried for so hard, and I got to ninety eight a couple times. I pretty much sat. 96, 97 at Texas, my, my, my last year there, like the last half of the year. Um, I got to an eight once or twice, but I never got to a – never got to 100. I've actually never seen 100 thrown in a game before. Um, so that okay. I wish I yeah. could have – I wish I could have seen that. Yeah, no, like hitting the hitting 100 is monumental. And we've had a lot of yeah. guys in this podcast that have hit 100, not a big deal, whatever. Just, pre- I mean, yeah. uh, we, that's what we do here. We, we groom 100-mile-an-hour pitchers on this podcast, not including me, obviously. The hundred mile an hour is like bio worthy. You got to put that in your bio, your Twitter bio or your Instagram bio. I put a hundred. Like that yeah. is that is monumental for a pitcher. Who? Yeah, and let's let's go back to what you said in the, about your junior year in, or your senior year in Texas. Your, your pitching staff. Who was the most impressive for you that 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 senior year when you guys went to the World Series? Because obviously you had Chase Sugar, um, Nolan Kingham, Blair Henley, all those kind of guys just carving, 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 and then. It's just like, how, how do hitters hit off those guys, first of all? And second of all, which pitcher, like in your opinion, had the most successful season that, that year? So, funny you say that. All those guys had great years, but the best pitcher on our staff was Parker Joe Robinson. The little sidearm guy, the literally, not little, 6'6", six, six, sidearm guy carving people up. I think he had like a sub-1 ERA. Like the guy would literally, no one could hit him. You know, like our, our bullpen that year literally, like literally went starter, Nolan, Chase, Blair, whatever. And they would go me, Pijo, the sidearm guy, and Andy McGuire. And literally, Pijo was our best player. No one could hit him ever. Like, I think multiple times that year, he got out of bases loaded jams with no outs, with no runs, like three or four times. It was unbelievable. So he was definitely yeah, no. the best pitcher on our team that year. Where is he now? Is he is he like is he drafted or is he just like done with baseball? Yeah, yeah. He actually signed a free agent deal and he, he's pitching in the minor leagues with the Angels. Um, so he, he's still doing that grind right now. Yeah, exactly. And this is the last question. Obviously, you're at work. Don't want to take too much of your time. Like I said, you're the first <laughs> ever worker to be on this podcast. Just a common man by the washed up athlete for the washed up athlete, officially unofficial. What is yes. what is like just just talk about what your life has been like after baseball, like just what your goals are. Are you going to coach or what are you, what are you going to do? You know, me and my, uh, me and my buddy Tate Shaw talk about this all the time. And Chance Callahan, we want to become a professional golfer. <laughs> we want to get to the point where we can be a scratch golfer and then join like, you know, like the corn fairy tour and hopefully one day work our way up to a, to a professional golfer. Got a long, long, long way to go, but that is, that is the goal. We actually started a golf, uh, golf Twitter account and golf Instagram account account called prestige golf so go follow it if you want it's a good time we just literally go out and play golf every day and we video it you know shit like this just funny stories about you know our past um and one day we want to get good enough to where we can go play professionally or the twitter or instagram account gets so big you know that we blow up and don't have to work again 
Yeah, there it is. So Fowler, Prestige Golf, and there you have it. I mean, this is, like I said, it's a little bit different here. It's a guy that played that's in his post-career right now, so it's yep. always good to have one of those guys every once in a while. I uh, appreciate you hopping on this. There you have it. Former University of Texas Longhorn, former Chicago Cub. Um, and, I mean, it, this this was fun, man. I appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, and, uh, Johnny, appreciate it, man. Yeah, appreciate it, Johnny. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you.